So welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm Izzy. Let's get rolling. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm Izzy, and I'm super excited for the three guests I've had on. Actually, this is the first Strange on Purpose episode where there are three guests and one host, and that's this is a this is a life changing moment here. But um, super excited. The rise of sneaker culture has brought a ton of brands like StockX and Goat, but today I want to really introduce some type of different brand and three founders that are really paving the path for founders that look like us to follow in their footsteps. So I want to rep- or I want to introduce the team from TradeBlock. Thanks for joining me, guys. How's it going? Good, man. Well, Thanks man. for having us. What's up? What's up? <laughs> I'm excited to listen to everybody, the story, the founder story, the founder journey and everything like that, but then talk about raising as block entrepreneurs, talk about the app a little bit like that, and obviously leave some time for some trade stories because you guys probably have some crazy stories um, in regards to trades and everything like that. But to get us started, can we get a little bit of a founder story, how you guys met, how trade block became a thing and everything like that? So yeah, I'll take that one first. Uh, my name's Tony Malvo, one of the co-founders of trade block. Uh, founder's story. Um, so I'm the lifelong sneakerhead of the three. Uh, I've always had a passion for uh, sneakers, uh, inspired by my sister mainly. Uh, I used to watch her come home from, she worked at a huge mall in Houston uh, called the Galleria. And she used to come home with like a new pair of sneakers every week. And so like, once I seen that, I was like, oh, I need, like, I used to love every pair she had. So I was like, I need, I need a job where I can get kicks like that all the time. So fast forward, uh, I met Darren in middle school. I think that was eighth grade. Yeah, eighth grade at Westbrook. And uh, we kind of bonded together because we were, uh, as Darren says, vertically challenged. <laughs> and so uh, we we like, bonded over that and we were like the, the short, like fresh guys. And so I always had on like some pretty nice kicks because of my sister. And then uh, once I, got to high school, that's where I met BMO, and me and BMO ran track together, and so that's, like, we all went to the same high school as well, so I got a job at Foot Locker right after high school, and it fed my uh, sneaker love, if you will, and so every check that I was getting, I was spending it at Foot Locker, <laughs> and so I, I finally had got to that point where I was bringing home shoes every week like my sister had when I was younger. So um, just a little backstory of about me um to contextualize everything that's going to be said uh going forward um just like a, a lifelong uh hustler slash entrepreneur if you will so um i was raised by a single mother and just kind of seeing those struggles um i like early on i always looked for opportunities to like provide for myself if you will or like where i wouldn't have to ask my mom for for candy at the store or whatever so um I started selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Pokemon cards back in second and third grade um, and then graduated to uh, bulk buying candy and selling that at school. Uh, And then fast forward to post high school, um, T actually got me a job at that same Foot Locker location. And um, yeah, so that started to feed my passion as well. Um, And I really that's when I started to see the 
the um the resale side of the of the game, which wasn't as rabid as it is now, but it still existed. Um, and so T introduced me to the idea of like the ESPN trade machine or the NBA trade machine, where you kind of um kind of curate your your roster and try to make the the best the best team that you can within the confines of the salary cap. Um, and so he was like, man, it'd be super dope if someone applied this idea to sneakers. Um, and so you fast forward to 2014, 2015, uh, there comes uh, StockX and GOAT. And then we were like, okay, this is crazy. This is dope, what, they're, what they brought to the game. But then you fast forward about two or three more years, and T and I started learning about the tech scene and what startups were. Um, and then we looked at StockX and GOAT and was like, wait, they're this huge, but they're still not doing what we've been talking about this whole time. Bro, if we're, if anybody's going to do this, like, we got to do it now. Um, and so quit my job probably, uh, I think, a month after um, we started the Instagram page. And, yeah, been going, <laughs> going, going crazy ever since. Damn, that's super dope. I think uh, what's crazy is the how everything kind of put itself together and the puzzle pieces kind of fit as you you moved on. Um, BMO, do you want to give a little bit of an intro before we get it into the the rest of the journey there? Yeah, yeah, most F. So just to, to pick it up from kind of where Darren left off. Um, so they had launched, launched that Instagram page and um, to, to use Darren's favorite term, they've been hitting the chitlin circuit uh, for a while. So, you know, in 2019, <laughs> uh, all three of us, but really Darren and Tony uh, predominantly at the beginning of the year, like just made a point of showing up at every major sneaker con or sneaker event that they could. Um, you know, like I have an immense amount of respect for for those two guys like those are my brothers and I, I think people often don't don't recognize or don't realize how much stuff they sacrificed and, and put on the line um to to get this thing off the ground like they both liquidated you know their entire collections to help fund travel you know we're giving away um some of their like you know rarest and, and most valuable shoes to help build up the instagram page um, those guys were sleeping in their car some nights outside the venue just to try to save money on hotels. And so, you know, Darren uh, came to Austin, you know, where I'd been living for the past six years or so at the time. Um, and I'd been working at, at IBM in the design program there. So I'd kind of been getting my own crash course on all things design, tech and business um, and was looking for an opportunity actually at the time to, to lead a product internally at IBM. Um, so my background's actually in sort of content creation um, but after three or four years, you know, surrounded by some of the smartest designers, developers, product managers, you know, that I had ever met, um, I had just learned a ton about all of that stuff and was like, man, I, you know, I think I can, I think I can be the person to lead a product, um, both from a business and a design standpoint. So I was looking for that opportunity with an IBM and then, you know, Darren hit me up and kind of hit me with the okie doke. He was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be in town, uh just for you know other reasons let's let's uh <laughs> catch up and, and get lunch together <laughs> and i was like sure so you know me him and uh his wife nicolette uh who you know i've also known her for a, a really long time went and, and got uh got some brunch at one of my favorite restaurants and he was like all right look man um the real reason for this is because like me and tony have been have been trying to build this thing and we think we really have something here um but, you know, we need somebody who's a little bit more, more familiar with kind of the tech and product side of things um, to really round out the team. Like, 
we know the space, we have an insane amount of hustle and, you know, we know, we know business more generally, um, but we don't have as much experience on that tech side. So I, I think, at, I think at the time, what I said was something like, this is super dope. Um, always down to have strategic conversations and like, you know, I, I love you guys and want to support you guys, not only as, you know, my friends from back in the gap, but as like young men of color trying to get into the startup space and the business space. So I think I said something like, yeah, like, let's get on a call every other week and, and I'll kind of play this sort of like mentorship role and kind of guide you guys on on stuff I, I think you should be doing. Um, and Darren was like, OK, cool. Um, I'm sure at the time he was like, got him. It's over. <laughs> um, Hit him with the poison. <laughs> Hit him with the <laughs> I, I definitely <laughs> called Tony after after that uh that dinner and was like, hey, um, we got him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think we did the did that kind of mentorship ish thing. Mentorship's probably even overselling it. Like we were just getting on the phone and having awesome conversations about like the vision and you know what this thing could be. And every time I would throw something out there, like you know, concept of an MVP, where I was like, all right. I think this is super dope. Everybody is saying they want to do it. How do we actually prove that people are down to do this? And so started talking to them about, you know, the, the concept of a minimum viable product, like what's the simplest and cheapest way that we can facilitate a trade to, to show that there's something here. And, you know, I think it was less than a week later, they turned around, they're like, yo, we, here's the MVP. We're going to do a giveaway you know, ask people for uh, the shoes they have that they'd be willing to trade and also follow up and, and get some data on, you know, the stuff that they're looking for. And we're going to facilitate trades manually on Instagram. And I was like, well, that's kind of crazy, but okay. And then maybe it was another week before they had done their first big trade um, with a, a guy, uh, Ty, uh, AJ, just basically a pretty well-known sneakerhead in the space. And he posted that trade to his page, man. And it just, it went gangbusters immediately. Like, our DMs were just flooded with people who were like, man, this is awesome. And not just, hey, this is cool. Like, can you tell me more about it? But literally people were just dropping their entire closets into our, our DMs. Like, here's 30 shoes that I own. Like, what can I get for them? Um, so by that point, I think I was already in. Um, I don't remember exactly whether I, I committed to them before or after that. But yeah, basically, I was just blown away by their hustle and their passion. The idea was awesome. Their energy was infectious. So I think about two or three weeks after I said, oh, I'll be a, you know, kind of an advisor. I was like, all right, you guys win. I can't get this idea out of my head. I've been sketching wireframes in my notebook all week. Like, even if I don't want to do this, I have no choice. Um, so yeah, that was August, I believe, or September of 2019. Um, pulled double duty at IBM for the next six or seven months and then quit my job um, last summer to, to go full time, um, you know, a little bit of ahead of our, of our beta product release. And yeah, we've just been cranking ever since. There's a ton of things that we touched on in that, in that journey. I mean, really the, the thing I really want to hit on um, it, the last com last few conversations, the last few recordings I've had um, a bit, we've put a big focus on the, the gap uh, it, the gap in entrepreneurship when you're jumping into something and you're of color, you're a person of color, there's a massive gap for success or uh, availability of funds or anything like that. Do you guys want to talk about that a little bit and your experiences as black and brown entrepreneurs and how you want to change that for the entrepreneurs that are following in your footsteps? 
yeah, no, I'm ha happy to touch on that. Um, you know, to, it, I would be lying if I said it's it's not a challenge. Um, one thing that I want to sort of, you know, put out there before I get into the, I guess, into the details of my thoughts is I think there's a, there's a lot of people who have the best intentions um, who, you know, can still end up contributing to, to the problem, if you will. Um, so I, what I always say is like, as human beings, like the number one thing we all try to do, whether we like it or not, is, is pattern match. Um, so I think as a person of color, like not only as an entrepreneur, but like really in any, you know, professional space or, or space where there are, you know, fewer black people, like people are trying to pattern match. And if they haven't seen a lot of people of color do a certain thing, it's hard for them to to really appreciate and, and see, you know, the opportunity or uh, like a great business in front of them because it just doesn't look like anything else they've seen before. Um, so there's absolutely challenges there. And I think what what we've always talked about, you know, uh, as black founders is like, look, we need to outwork everybody. Like we need to work three times as hard and be four times as thoughtful and five times as prepared for every meeting um, just so we can really make a point about, you know, the, the fact that our, our competence is undeniable. Because again, even people who have the best intentions, you know, if they're not used to seeing people who look like us doing what we're doing, you know, it's hard for them to to truly see uh, like how hard we're going. Oftentimes, um, that said, I also think like there's there's been a lot of incredible allies that we have on our team. Um, you know, like our our first two investors were older white guys um, who were just like hey, we love this idea, but more so like we rock with you guys and we're, we're really impressed by y'all's thoughtfulness, you know, by the, the amount of stuff you guys have been able to get done with no resources. And we're, we're here in your corner. Um, so, you know, I, I'm incredibly grateful for those guys. And, and they've been, you know, Phil, Phil Gilbert, you know, one of my good friends, he was my mentor at IBM and, and Chip Davis, um, one of his good friends who he's done a number of deals with over the years. They've been instrumental um, in, in just leveling us up. But you know, I think the other thing that we've tried to do is is really also be intentional about who we are are pursuing and you know allowing to get in um, on our cap table. Um, so you know, Darren, Tony, and I talked about this a lot, even when we were just in the earliest stages of of the idea. Like the the real you know game changing generational wealth is created like by people who are able to get in really early, <clears throat> excuse me, really early on, you know, the successful future unicorn startups. And oftentimes just because of networks or access or whatever the case may be, like that's not people of color. Um, you know, if we're lucky, we may get in on a C round or once the company already goes public and sure there may be some money to be made, but it's nothing compared to the guy who got in on the first round of Facebook. So we said, Okay, if we if we really are passionate about diversity and, and creating more opportunities and wealth for people of color, we need to be willing to go the extra mile to extend the opportunity to invest in us to people who typically wouldn't get that opportunity. Um, so I think that's the other thing we we you know we're just passionate about, and we say, look, if it if it takes a little bit more work from us, if we have to spend a little bit more time educating folks on like what a startup looks like and and how those investments work, like. We're happy to do that because at the end of the day, 
you know, we want to put ourselves in a position to where five years from now or whenever the case may be, not only do we have the resources to invest in more people who look like us and companies like this, but also, you know, we have created kind of game changing generational wealth for other people who look like us and, and wouldn't have gotten that opportunity otherwise. And to me, that's that's the number one way to, to increase access and, and increase resources is, you know, building wealth within our own community. Um, but uh, Darren, feel free to feel free to add to my to my rambles there, if you will. Really, really quick, Darren, I think um, if you can clarify too, um, the the how, if possible, like how are we giving access to the, the people that are that look like us that aren't able to get in front of um, these the, to get in on that first round of Facebook or anything like that? Oh, so I think the, the main thing, and again, you know, shout out to, to Chip Davis, um, who I was mentioning earlier, because he was the one who kind of put us on game about this, um, is the fact that we're, we're raising our seed round um, through a special purpose vehicle. Um, so to just kind of try to keep it simple, essentially, you create a, a, a business entity that's separate from your actual company. And that entity exists pretty much for the sole purpose of being a funding vehicle for your company. Um, but one of the challenges, you know, of creating access for the non-typical investor, if you will, is, is their check size tends to be a lot smaller. So if you're trying to raise a million dollars, you know, and you're getting $5,000 checks, that's 200 people who now are on your investment cap table for your company. And there's a lot of things that you have to do, kind of especially as you grow and, and reach those latter stages where, for example, you may have to get, you know, uh, a sign off from the majority of shareholders or just different decisions like that. So really what, you know, what most people will tell you is like try to keep that cap table as short as possible, because the more people that are on it, the more potential complications you have on the back end. Um, but what the SPV does is all of those $5,000 checks actually then get invested into that special purpose vehicle, um, which sort of <clears throat> acts like a partnership for pooling that investment. And then as far as trade blocks cap table um, is considered, you know, all of those investments are a single line item on our cap table. Um, so I think learning about that was was really a game changer for us because then we said, OK, cool, like some of these folks who we basically were like, ah. You know, I don't know if it's worth it taking this smaller check. We can now, you know, bring them in through that kind of uh, alternate route um, in a way that, you know, still mitigates a lot of the kind of organizational risk for the company. Um, yeah, man, it, it's been a crazy journey. Uh, and I've been learning every step of the way. Um, like I said before, like I didn't even know what tech, the tech scene and startup, startup world was until about 2017, 2018. Um, and so... In terms of the the fundraising aspect of it, um, that was super eye opening because you see a lot of people that don't look like us, like our counterparts, um, who don't have as much. Um, like so, we've seen uh, people pre product, um, pre seed raising multi million dollar rounds um, with not even close to, to as much traction as we have. And so, as a person of color, black person, a black founder, um, you can't help but to see that and feel a certain way but um it's just you got to put your head back down and get back to work and that's just the the cards that we're we're dealt and yeah just keep pushing forward so i mean we know what we have and like bmo said we have to work five times as hard um and be 
10 times as prepared in these meetings so that all of these VCs or angels take us serious um, in those conversations. And then at the end of the day, we've, we've positioned ourselves where the product and the traction speaks for itself. So now those conversations have the, the tone and the like, yeah, yeah, the tone of those conversations has, has changed tremendously uh, as of late. And so we're very fortunate in, in, in that regard. I got to ask Tony, are you like, how has the, how have you felt seeing the platform go from trading on Instagram to now you have this product that, like Darren just said, speaks for itself. Like, how's how's that like 180 really feel for you? Yeah, it's like, it's actually pretty crazy because like kind of to the point that uh, Darren was saying, like, I had this idea of trading, but like, you know, it's, it's only idea until you start executing. So like for us to have been like starting in the Instagram DMs, toggling between uh, these spreadsheets that Darren created with like people's shoes that they had in their closet, and like their wish list, like it's pretty insane. It's surreal. Like it's a blessing. Like, yeah, man, it's it's super exciting. I can't wait to see like where it goes from here. Uh, like I'm blessed to have these guys like on my team because I feel unstoppable like with them behind me. That's the best feeling in the world when you believe in your team 100% that you have just the utmost confidence that you guys are just gonna, for lack of better terms, take over the world. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how I feel for sure. What what's upcoming for the the platform? Like, is there any like cool new up and coming features um, that you guys have recently introduced or anything like that? Yeah, so I think um, honestly, one of the biggest game changing features which we dropped just a couple of weeks ago um, was kind of visibility into market value. Um, so obviously, a, a big part of the philosophy of trading, if you will, is this idea that the value of a shoe is really dependent on the person you're talking to. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Yeezys. So, you know, if I see a Yeezy, I'm, I'm likely to value it, you know, lower, if you will, than somebody who is a complete Yeezy stand and wants to collect all of them. So like, that's one of the cool things about trading. Um, however, you know, there's, even when you take that into account, there are certainly offers which are totally unreasonable. Um, and when we first launched the platform, you know, uh, since we didn't have kind of direct visibility into those market prices, we had a lot of people, you know, one, people would have to leave TradeBlock to go to other apps to look up prices. And, you know, as a, as a product person, that obviously didn't sit right with me. Like, I don't want my product to force you to, to go to somebody else's product to get, get information. Um, but two, you know, we just had a lot of people who were just shooting out garbage offers. Like I, I, I won't try to, um, uh, I won't try to, um, you know, paper over that at all. Like Tony, Darren, myself, all of us were getting insane offers. Like, hey, here's a pair of beat up Air Force Ones. Like, trade me your dead stock off white fives. It's like, dude, absolutely not. Who are you? Um, so when we rolled out the, the pricing visibility, one thing that we added was essentially uh, a feature that blocks lowball offers. Um, so now on the platform, if you are creating a trade, um, you have to offer at least 70% of the market value of what you're asking for. Um, so, you know, we spent a lot of time talking through this actually, um, because of that first reason, sort of like, who are we to say what's a fair deal? Um, so we try to set the threshold uh, kind of at a level where we still gave you a lot of wiggle room to take into account things like I love this shoe or hate this shoe or I've got to double up or whatever the case may be. 
um, but while, you know, also blocking the most absurd offers. Um, and I think also just kind of providing a, an extra layer of protection, if you will, for, for some of the people who aren't as, you know, familiar with the, the market itself. Um, because, you know, you may be able to get somebody to accept an offer where your shoe is worth half of what their shoe is worth um, just because they don't know. Um, but in that situation, you know, honestly, we felt like, hey, you're still taking advantage of that person, whether or not you were able to get the deal done. Um, so, you know, we set that threshold at a, a level we thought was reasonable. Um, and honestly, almost across the board, like you can never please everybody, but I think about 99.9% of our uh, members, when we announced that were like, this is amazing. This was the number one pain point that I had, like people wasting my time with garbage offers. Like I'm about to go crazy on here now that I don't have to worry about that. Um, so that one was big. And then, you know, one of my personal favorite things we did recently was releasing uh, profile bios. So to zoom out for a second, you know, obviously our platform is predicated on trading, um, but really kind of the bigger vision for us is is trying to unify sort of the social and transactional sides of sneaker culture. Um, so when we were, you know, kind of building the idea early on, like one of the things we noticed was, okay, StockX and GOAT, like these massive marketplaces are dominating the space, um, but all they do is buy and sell, right? Like they're just kind of Amazon for the resale market of sneakers. Um, whereas like being a sneakerhead and a sneaker collector, like that's a passion. Those folks are spending hours on, you know, sneaker news or Facebook groups or, you know, Discord groups and forums on subreddits. Like they're constantly looking for opportunities to connect with one another, to share that passion for collecting with one another. And like, you know, you can't get that from a marketplace. That's not what it's built for. Um, so what we're really trying to do is, is really build a, a platform that's, you know, almost the, the home for, you know, collectors where, yes, you can come here and trade, but like also you have a public profile where you can show off the kicks you have, you know, help people understand what kicks you want. And now with those bios, really start to sort of like deepen your persona. Um, so for me personally, it's just been super dope reading people's bios and people talk about like, hey, you know, I just got into sneakers two or three years ago trying to build up my collection, you know, all the way to, I've been collecting sneakers since the first Jordan dropped in 1985. Like I'm an OG, but I, I'm still here for it. Um, so yeah, I think just, you know, really deepening that sense of community and, and trying to advance the social side of our platform uh, has been one of the you know most rewarding things for me personally um, in, in recent weeks. That's dope. I think uh, what you got, what you hit on, interestingly enough, was uh, the outrageous like trade offers and everything like that. So you guys have, Darren and Tony, you guys have been here since the beginning, obviously. Is there any trade stories that come up, come to mind that you're like, damn, like, I can't believe this happened or wow, they sent me some fakes or anything like that? Like, what is there anything that pops to mind immediately that you're like, yeah, that this is this is this is really dope? Yeah, um, I think uh, when you ask about the crazy trade stories, man, I have to go back to the like the very first trade ever. Um, and I think BMO brought up AJ. Uh, I think his his IG name is Ty eighty seven kicks. If y'all want to give him a follow on Instagram, um, but so when we hit the um, the Chitlin circuit, as I call it, uh, just going to sneak sneaker um, sneaker cons and sneaker events all over the country, um, just kind of planting seeds, letting people know what we were planning on doing. Um, that 
entailed us doing the giveaways, of course, and all of that. But once we actually tried that MVP that BMO was talking about earlier, um, and we got the data. So we the the rules of the that giveaway in San Jose was like, hey, give us three to five shoes that you're looking for, um, and three to five shoes that um, you have in your collection. And so I dumped all of that in the spreadsheet and started cross referencing and started finding matches. And so I would reach out to to every person that I found a match, saying, hey, um, Tony, you're in NYC. Uh, I found somebody in California who has what you want and wants what you have. Would you be willing? um to let us broker that trade middleman it um and so like the first i would say 100 people were like no like i don't i met you once but i mean it's a cool idea but i don't i don't know you and so we knew right up, like off the bat like we needed somebody with some type of reputation that we could get a trade done for um and so we had met aj at SneakerCon dallas um and chopped it up he showed love we got him a shoe um kind of to build some goodwill there and he actually hit us up saying, hey, I just doubled up, doubled up on these MCA Air Force Ones, uh, one in my size and then another in, in my wife's size. Uh, but she doesn't like the shoe. And so at the time, it was like, I think it was a six and a half T, keep me honest on that. Um, but she didn't want the shoe and it was going for like two racks. And so he was like, I think I can get uh, an off-white Chicago one with this used because he had a, a DS pair. But he didn't want like he couldn't just he couldn't rationalize putting on a like a four thousand dollar shoe. Um, and so he was like, if you guys can find me a used pair, I'll trade it um, through you guys. And so me and T immediately hit the spreadsheet uh, and we didn't see anybody with the with the used pair. So we were like, OK, how do we get this done? And so we went to go and bought <laughs> bought a pair, <laughs> bought a used pair. Mind you, we didn't have two thousand dollars. So like that joint went straight on the credit card um and cop the shoe and i, I want to say like a week later we got a notification that hey like the shoe was fake so like we're re refunding you your money it's like dang it and so at this time aj had already sent the shoe to us so we had his shoe and we're like okay how do we make this right um and so we hit aj saying hey we got the shoe in but it was fake and we didn't feel comfortable sending it to you and so <laughs> we were pretending like we were the middleman but we never touched the shoe so we just went off of goats um, result and then um we ordered a new one we found another one that looked pretty good sent aj the pictures to see if he was good with it he said yeah let's run it and so we bought that one and uh probably a week and a half later that shoe arrived we sent it to aj um and as soon as he got the shoe everything looked good and he posted it to his instagram page um shouting us out saying how he got the shoe and from there it yeah, like Bimo said earlier, it went gangbusters. Like our DMs started, like it got flooded with people sending us shoes in their collection that they were willing to trade, stuff that they were looking for. And so that spreadsheet that had probably, I would say at the time, we had 500 to 600 shoes on both sides. Um, and it easily went went to like 2,000 uh, off the bat. And so I'll never forget that. And that's one of, one of the stories I love telling. That's nuts. Yeah, it was crazy. That's that's seriously crazy. I like just having the nads to just like, you know what? I'm gonna grab these shoes off the credit card, and then for all the like, I would have been freaking out once they said they were fake. Like, at least I'm getting my money back. But damn, like, what am I supposed to do? So, kudos to you and Tony for like keeping your cool um, and and figuring out something that would work and kind of uh, kind of being the middleman if that yeah. makes sense. No, appreciate it. Um, <laughs> and then just for more context, it gets pretty crazy. So after that, 
obviously we started like we had matches in the spreadsheet but then like one one side would say they're good with it but the other side wouldn't and so we were like okay dang it like we still have to it was cool that aj posted but people still don't trust us enough so we have to like kind of solidify this idea that hey we're really out here middlemanning trades so how do we get more trades done and and t me and t looked at each other like bro we we just got to keep facilitating these joints, taking an L. <laughs> and so anytime we found somebody with a little bit of influence um, that was either directly or indirectly tied to AJ, um, and we started meeting uh, certain influences at these events as well, we would chop it up with them and say, hey, can uh, is there a trade that you're looking for? Is there a shoe that we can get you? Um, and then we would run that same play. And so just keep in mind, like these cats were asking for $500, $750 shoes, um, and the other side of the trade wasn't getting done so we had to buy that shoe as well so um kind of going back to t's point in terms of like how crazy it is to see these trades actually happening on the platform um i'm a, an accountant about trade that's what my degree is in so i kind of naturally handle the numbers and like one of the things that is super cool to me is just seeing like a profitable trade because back then we were taking major l's on every trade that we did <laughs> major l's <laughs> <laughs> damn that's nuts that's crazy i i'm i'm super excited to see where the team and the, where the brand and where the platform is going to end up in the, hopefully the the very very near near future um but when we talk about this podcast and anybody that jumps on i ask everybody the same question so i'm going to ask each of you individually um to answer and the question is what makes you strange on purpose you know, I'll, I'll try not to be too long winded, um, but I think, you know, I I grew up like basically spending 95% of my time doing one of two things, either hooping uh, or reading, um, you know, son of a of an African father. Uh, my mom was a teacher. So, you know, education was always something that was really, really pushed in our household um as were things like frugality so you know we didn't have cable tv or any of that sort of stuff so you know as a kid i you know fell in love with books and realized like man i can go to entirely different worlds and live people's you know basically live other people's lives um you know by by diving into these books so you know i'm a huge sci-fi guy I, I read the you know the whole hobbit series lord of the rings when i was like in fourth grade um Used to love reading books like, you know, Brave New World and Lord of the Flies all in junior high. And, you know, when I got to high school, basketball started to get more serious. Um, and you just, you know, the social influences become more of a thing. Um, so I think there was a there was a little while there when I, honestly, I think I was I just had some insecurities around, you know, being somebody who was, you know, like very, very smart. And like, hopefully that's not a self call. Um, but into science, into technology, into sci-fi, like as a high school athlete, it's like, uh, you know, those aren't necessarily the coolest things of all time. Um, but, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to you know, be, be good at sports, which I think also helped me be more comfortable being myself. Um, you know, went to college at Dartmouth and, and over time, again, just just became more and more confident in, yeah, be, being fully myself. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm, I'm really uh, appreciative of um, when it comes to this team and working with, with Tony and Darren is both of them, you know, are constantly reminding me or encouraging me to not put on airs for anybody. 
they're like, you know, Darren tells me this all the time, like, bro, you're, you're awesome as you are. And like all of those uniqueness, you know, aspects of you being into philosophy and brain science and all of that, like is one of the things that, that makes you great, makes this team great. Um, so never shy away from that. So I think for me, being strange on purpose is, you know, being unapologetically a black nerd, um, being really into things like psychology, brain science, sci-fi, um, and just having like, yeah, like a, a unquenchable thirst for, for knowledge um, across the board. Like I always tell people like more than anything, I'm just a really curious guy who every once in a while, like likes to make cool shit for people. So that's how I'm strange on purpose. Yeah, I'll pick that up. Um, so what makes me strange on purpose? Um, so kind of to a point that Beams kind of brought up lightly um, was like kind of like being an athlete in school um, and like liking certain things that wouldn't be deemed as cool to other, you know, athletes or jocks. Uh, me personally, that would be like my passion slash love for like comics and anime um those things are starting to kind of like hit more of the mainstream like nowadays but uh for years now i've like i don't want to say secretly loved because anybody that knows me like knows that i love like those things but yeah like that the i've been watching anime since i was probably like nine years old started with dragon ball z and then like that naturally just took me to comics and like mangas and things of that nature. So like I didn't read books, like a ton of books like Beans did. That sounded bad. I did read some books, guys, <laughs> but I didn't read like, you know, the novels and things, not novels and things like uh like Beans did. Uh, but I was reading comics and like mangas. So if you're in the anime, mangas are basically like the comic book versions for the Japanese uh shows. And so yeah, I think that would that would definitely be my my what made me uniquely strange because I was pretty fashionable guy in high school and pretty decent at sports. And so I guess you could consider me cool. But then like, if you knew me, it's like, ah, he's like really like a comic book nerd. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, that's my uniqueness, if you will. Um, strange on purpose, man. Uh, I, I laughed when BMO was going, uh, when he said uh, the two things he was into was uh, hooping and reading. And mine was probably like hooping and just shenanigans, um, and everything falls under shenanigans. Uh, so, what <laughs> <laughs> definitely wasn't a reader uh, at all. Um, that w- that wasn't something that was emphasized um, in my household. Again, being raised by a single mom, um, some like she just didn't have the time to even like focus on that. I guess uh, sounds bad, but it just it, it is what it is. Um, and so full transparency, man, I didn't really like read a book um, and really understand the the importance of it until I read like the narrative of, uh, of Frederick Douglass when I was 26 years old. Um, and that's when the the love for reading and just kind of knowing that we have like to a degree, like we have a, a, a responsibility to read because people like that was something that was taken or prohibited um, from our people like for so long. And so. Um, I definitely read with like intentionality now, um, and it's changed my life. It really, if I hadn't read that book, I don't know if I would have made this jump to start to help T start um, Ast- what was Astrolab at the time. Um, and so, man, what makes me strange on purpose? I think it's just the some some may call it naivete, some may call it ignorance, but like I just say, I'm crazy enough to believe in myself. 
to do some of the stuff that I've done because when you really look at it, like I didn't have the tools necessary to really like push forward. You know what I mean? So I like when we started the company, I started talking to investors. I hit LinkedIn and was messaging like hundreds of people um, when I found out what VC was and angel investing and very underqualified, if you will, to like be on those conversations. But I didn't care. Um, I knew that was what needed to happen or I felt as though that, that's what needed to happen. And so I was on those calls. I was reaching out to those people um, and not necessarily equipped um, or as articulate as the next person or whatever. But uh, whatever I think needs to be done, I'm very, very confident in the fact that I can push that forward and move the needle. Um, and so, yeah, man, I'm there's a quote. Um, I'm getting kind of long winded, but that just resonates with me. And I kind of say it every day, like. You don't you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. Um, and I, I, I really live by that because I don't necessarily have like all of the tools and not a great speaker and all of that stuff. But um, without that, me being crazy enough to kind of believe in myself and push this forward and think that we can build something great, um, it never would have happened. So I think that's what makes me strange on purpose. Respect. I love that. Yo, that's a bar, Darren. Yeah. Now, I appreciate the three of you for jumping on the Strange on Purpose podcast. And um, anybody that's listening, I truly recommend checking out the app, checking out the three founders. I'll have their socials linked uh, and Tradebox socials linked as well. But um, Tony, Darren, and Bimo, thanks for jumping on. Thank you.